you know, of all the time of preparation, how you struggle and you plow and you dig this up and you lay that aside and you choose this. I was thinking of Jonah. Here was a man that his message to a great, vile, evil city was, repent for in 40 days God is going to destroy this this city. And it says that from the king on down, they put on sackcloth and they cried out to God. That message was driven home. And it wasn't a, a message that people were, you know, wanting to really hear, except when it was delivered and then they realized they needed to hear it. So this morning, I gave John this title here, The 400 Years Missing Two-Part Message. He said, I don't know how to put that together. <laughs> I told him, I said, I don't know either. <laughs> Just, and he, he done a good job. But the Bible you hold in your hands this morning contains two books. And before we get into this, before I forget, we want to ask God's blessing upon our eyes, upon our heart, upon our ears, that we might receive what God has for us here this morning in the congregation and those that are outside watching through the various electronic gadgets that we have today. Father, we know that you love all mankind. And Father, you have gone to the very limits of providing a way of salvation for man. And we pray that this message this morning, Father, doesn't matter the the messenger. What matters is the message that you anoint and drive home to the hearts of people that hear. So Father, give us the blood-tipped ear Open the chambers of our heart to receive what you would have us to receive this morning. Changes that need to be made, we pray that you will prevail upon each one of us to make those changes. And what we do, may we glorify and lift the Lord Jesus Christ above all names and present him as the answer and solution to man's problems. Father, thank you for your word, how precious it is, it is and how many people have paid with their lives that we might have in our hands this morning the very word, word for word, verse by verse, book by book that you have given us. Bless we pray in Jesus' name. So the Bible you hold in your hands this morning contains two books. If you have a New Testament, well, that's half of the book. If you have the Bible that has both the Old and New Testament, you have the complete Word of God from Genesis to the end of Revelation where that last period is placed. And from the last book, the Old Testament, which is Malachi to Matthew, there is a span of 400 plus years. 400 plus years in which the voice of God was absolutely silent. There was no message to God's people spoken through a prophet of, of any kind. McGee says that uh, radio channel God just went off the air at that particular moment because he said nothing to anyone. And it's interesting, as we come to the New Testament, the silence was broken But in Luke chapter 3, verse 2. It says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And the first message we have in the New Testament, we know that the angels appeared to Zechariah and, and to Mary and gave the information. The shepherds, they had the glorious message the angels gave them on that night that the Messiah was to be born. But the very first message, the preaching in God's word in the New Testament began with when God broke the silence and spoke to John. 
the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And it says that the word of God came to John. That word that came to John is important. Very important. Because the word that came to John in the Greek is Rima. The word has a particular message that God gave to John. And this is what you are to preach. I'm giving you this word. You preach it exactly as I want it spoken. And John was faithful to do, to do that. He was charged to deliver not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. Both were in great need to receive the word John spoke. And I think we can come down to, to the, a, the day in which we live, and this is the word God would have us to receive and move upon. And the message that John gave was sharp. It was to the point, And that was, repent. During that 400 plus silent years, a lot of activity had taken on. You had the changing of world empires. You had the Babylonian empire, first of all, which took Israel captive. And then in those silent years, you had the the Medo-Persian, you had the Greek, and you had last of all the Roman empire, which had conquered the then known world. And the world at that time was at peace, but it was a peace on Rome's conditions. And that's never good. It's just like the squabble we're having and the outbreaks of violence in the United States. If you do according to what some people want, they'll have peace because you have submitted your liberty, your will, and you've embraced their will. And so what more do you want? The ruling people have it. But the message to repent is vital to the program God has for mankind. There is no other avenue into the presence of God where you can stand justified than when you receive the message of repent. And remember that John's message was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes in the Father except through him. And that puts a lot of denominations and cults in jeopardy because these people say that we have the only truth we have the only way you come our way we have rescued the bible which was contaminated and we have rewritten it according to the way god wants it and many people are destroyed because of that psalms 32 5 gives us evidence of the need of repentance and david said I acknowledge my sins to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. In that 400-year-plus time of silence, great corruption had gripped Israel, Rome. All the people stood in judgment in the eyes of God. And so when David said, I acknowledge my sins to you, and I did not cover my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And listen to this. The avenue God chooses is repentance. And David says, when I confess my transgression, you forgave my iniquity, the iniquity of my sin. So what John was offering repentance to the people, it was something new and it was received by many with joy because during that particular time, the awfulness of the spiritual condition of Israel was at the lowest point that they had been. We know that there was idolatry in the past, and God judged that, and we go through the history of Israel, and come down to this time, till now then, the very 
temple. And those that were set aside to function in the temple for for God and stand between the people to offer the sacrifices, they were utterly and contemptibly corrupt to the core. Then Peter in Second Peter three nine says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." That's everyone. What John's message went out to, it went out to the Romans. It went out to the to, to the religious leaders. They didn't like that because they didn't feel they had any need to repent. And there's many people in the church today that are going through the process of having an appearance of godliness, but it's only a form and fashion. And the pulpit is so weak today in many areas that you might as well watch John Wayne on a Western. He get as much salvation from that. At least he did do away with the bad guys. <laughs> Repentance means this, though. It means unconditional surrender to God. It is a 180 degree turnaround where one at one time was walking away from God. When you repent, you reverse yourself and you walk toward God. You agree with what God says. You want to do what God have, would have you to do. You do the works of righteousness. And remember that in, in this period of time, God had his remnant. He always has. There's never been a time when God didn't have a small group of people that followed him and obeyed him and walked in line with what God had revealed to them. Remember Elijah when he was called and the evil that was in his day. He said, You've, they've killed the prophets and I alone am left. And God says, no. I have yet 5,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God always has his remnant, folks. And in this particular time, God had his remnant. You remember, it says that Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous in their ways. What that meant was that they had come to God and used the prescribed method for the forgiveness of sin. But then they were also looking for the coming of the Messiah. And it was revealed to them that John would be the forerunner. And to Mary, it was revealed, revealed to her that she would carry and give birth to God manifested in the flesh. Now, the meaning of John's name is important to understand. And if, if you look at the names that are in the first part of our New Testament, the ones that God appeared to, the names are important. But what it, John's name means this. God and it's what God was going to do at that time. It means Jehovah has shown grace. God was opening the floodgates of grace that man might be saved if they would repent and acknowledge their sin and turn to God through Jesus Christ who would be coming shortly thereafter. And so God today is reaching out through grace to redeem lost humanity. It hasn't changed Grace is God's unmerited favor. And the thing about it is that John came at God's timing. He was God's man. He did not seek the approval of the political powers because the political powers is not who we go through. God calls men and women to bear witness to him and the political powers cannot stop that message. God didn't go to them and seek their approval. 
He did not approach the corrupt, degenerate religious leaders of his time. Remember, his father was a priest. He officiated in the temple. But apparently, when John was born, remember he was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they were advanced in age, so probably at a young age, he lost his parents. And he didn't go to the temple to enter the priesthood. God called him out into the wilderness, and God told him what he was to preach. He didn't need to seek approval. You know, one of the sad things today in our society, in Christianity, is that there's far too many men in the pulpit are looking out at people like you, and they know, well, if, if I preach this, brother so-and-so is not going to like it. Or if I say this, sister so-and-so is gonna, going to uh, let me know about it. So he's, uh, they are allowing the congregation to, <coughs> to dictate what they're going to preach. No. God calls a man to preach what he once said, not what the congregation wants. It's what the congregation needs. And so this was Luke. He came at God's timing. He was God's man. Now in Luke chapter 3, Verses 1 and 2, it gives us a wealth of information as to the times that John began preaching his message. And the names tell the reality of what was going on when John received his call. Israel was under this time the Iron Heel of Rome. She was crushed. She could only do what Rome said she could do. Tiberius Caesar ruled from Rome a despot, cruel, licentious and brutal. He didn't have to answer to anyone. He just did what he wanted to do and he had the backing of the army underneath him. Then Pontius Pilate, power hungry, had a history of having men put to death who opposed him. Political, absolute political darkness. And then Herod, one of the most evil, vile and corrupt men on the face of the earth, was king. He had no right to be king. You see, all, 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 everything had been taken away from Israel. She was under the heel of this kind of rule. But then the next two names that we have rips back the curtain and reveals the spiritual condition that existed in Israel. The high priest Annas and Caiaphas. Now the high priest was supposed to be in an office hell for life. However, Rome... See, Rome got involved. Rome objected to Annas and he removed him and appointed Caiaphas because Caiaphas was willing to be a puppet of the Roman iron rule. There was no seeking what God wanted. There was power hungry in all areas when John came upon the scenes. God's order was set aside and replaced by man's rule. So what do we see? The king degenerate, the temple is desecrated, the priesthood is degraded, and the people debased. What a time for for John to say, repent. And I imagine it was just as sharp as a sword when he said it too. So God is now opening the floodgate for mankind to come into his presence. Repent was the fiery message like a two-edged sword which cuts through, cut through the exterior to the very root of the sin matter. The words revealed there was something wrong which had been overlooked and needed to be addressed not only by Israel, but by the Gentiles as well. 
People were dissatisfied with the Roman rule. Remember, it started out as a republic. And then it moved into the area when the military gained power and it became an empire and it was ruled with an iron fist. Now Luke tells us that in Luke 3.3, 3, he came into all the district around Jordan, talking about John. He confronted the religious people, those who had the form of re- religion but no substance. He talked to the tax collectors, soldiers that had seen the very worst of what man could do. I've wondered about, you know, when Jesus was born, it says that Herod had the little ones put to death. How in this world can a man do what they did to those little ones in order that Herod thought we'll get rid of the king by this method, thinking that he could retain his power? The human heart hasn't changed today, folks. You just read on the in the newspapers or heard on the news about those Asian people killed the other day, some eight of them. Has the human heart changed? Have we become educated to the point now that we can think things through, that we can make the right decisions? They can take every gun that you own, that I own, and they can can say, you no longer have this right, and it won't stop the murder and the slaughter that we're seeing take place, not only in America, but throughout all the world. We had a message come through. What was it, Miramar? That that these people were saying the soldiers are coming. They're taking people off in trucks. They're taking them out. They're executing them. And they're just a few doors down from our house now. Pray for us. What What was their sin? They were Christians. The heart of man is dark and evil. And it's you can't change it by passing laws. Now, the common people heard, the soldiers, and the religious people, and they didn't like it, by the way. They didn't like someone to tell them that you need to repent. And there's also a false belief among these people, the religious leaders, that being born a Jew made them acceptable to God. And that is why John in Luke 3 said, Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. Did you know that there's many a young person that feels secure in Christ not because they have made a personal commitment, but because they have been brought up in the church? And they think because mom and dad or grandma and grandpa serve the Lord and we have gone to church over and over again that we're all right. They need to repent and to claim Christ and his forgiveness. And John called upon these people to repent because there was a need. Psalms 14.3 They have all turned aside together. They have come become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Isaiah 53.6 All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. There was a need to call to repentance. There's a need to call to repentance today. I personally believe that America has crossed the line. That for individuals in America... There can be forgiveness if you seek the Lord Jesus Christ and confess your sins and accept his offering on the cross as forgiveness and payment for you. But for our nation, folks, there comes that place where when that line is crossed, there's no turning back. The only thing awaiting is judgment. And from what I read in the scriptures, 
I don't find the United States being the great power that we've been in the past. They're beginning to, to rise up. I'll share something toward the end of the message that I received through the mail. In Jeremiah chapter 6, there's a perfect picture of what is taking place when John began to preach repent. This is a picture of the religious leaders, Jeremiah 6, verse 13. It says, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophets to priests, everyone deals falsely. I was talking to the pastor not long ago, and we were just kind of talking back and forth. And I said, you know, I have just about come to the place where I can't stand to hear celebrity preachers on the radio. It it, it doesn't do anything for me. It makes me angry when I hear that one particular pastor. I'm not going to make any names, but his church pays him a million dollars a year salary. Others that talk about, we need your support, blah, blah, just send us your money. And we'll be able to get this word out. This other fellow I'm thinking about is worth $42 million. I mean, these guys have a lot of money. And that, that that's my opinion. I, I just don't care for very many celebrity preachers today. In Matthew 23, verses 13 to 15, this is what Jesus said to these people. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. (laughs) I want to read something to you just later on from a preacher who's been dead for a number of years. But he had a great following in the United States. He built a great building in Southern California called the Crystal Cathedral. And I want word for word for what he said that he gave in an interview to Christianity Today. And I'll bring that out just a little later. What did Jesus do whenever he started his ministry? What was the first work that he performed publicly in the beginning, he cleansed the temple in John 2, verses 13 and 16. You know, we, we have these people that are complete pacifists. And it tells us that when Jesus cleansed the temple the first time, he went in and he made a cord uh, out of rope into a whoop. And he drove. I asked one pacifist one time, I said, do you think Jesus was just bluffing? Do you think that when he made that whoop that he wasn't going to use it? I personally believe that some of those fellows felt the sting from the whoop that Jesus drove them and the cattle and the sheep and all those other things out of the temple. That was Jesus' work. He called them what they were. At the beginning, he cleansed the temple. And at the ending of his ministry in Matthew 21, 12, and 13... Just before his crucifixion, he cleansed the temple again. Nothing had changed. Same old, same old people ruling. Same corrupt high priests. Jesus let them know that there was this vileness in in the leaders of the temple. 
I think there's some churches today, folks, that need cleansing, need to be repenting on their knees before God. They're not teaching the word. They're not preaching the word. They are giving out soft material that tickles the ears of people. It's what they want to hear. And so this is what they do in order to keep their job. But repentance was part one of the two missing messages that God gave instruction to John to preach. Now, in order for a person to be brought to the place of repentance, specific sins had to be pointed out. This this is you. You've done this. You've done that. And take God's word when he said, Thou shalt not, and say, This is what you've done. You've done this. Now, I'll read you what Robert Schuler said. And think what he thinks about the type of preaching not only John presented, but what Jesus presented and what the apostles gave out. Here's what Robert Schuler said. Sin is any act or thought that robs myself or another human being of his or her self-esteem. I have no right to ever preach a sermon or write an article that would offend the self-dignity and violate the self-dignity of a listener or reader. Schuler contends that the most destructive thing that can be done to a person is to call him a sinner. This was the type of preaching Schuler ladled out Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. He even told his audience, and I was watching when he said this, if I were to die and come back and find out that my family, my entire family had converted to Islam, I would be very pleased. You can preach that kind of a message to a people that are ignorant of God's word. But you can't preach that kind of a message when people have read God's word and know what he says, what he requires, and what you must do. So according to Robert Schuler, John was way off course. Let me turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. You know... There's two people that you you read about in the New Testament that I don't think would be invited to any of the modern-day churches. Number one is John the Baptist. He was a woolly-looking booger, let me tell you. He was like none other that came on the scene. He had his camel's hair, and his his hair probably grew long. He, He wasn't groomed according to the order of the day, the acceptable appearance that we must have. And another one is the Apostle Paul. After all, what dignified congregation would want a jailbird to come and deliver a message? But anyhow, this is what John said in verse three, verse 7. There were many coming out to be baptized him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And I said before, there was this one group that seeing themselves as not needing to repent because just being born a Jew made them acceptable to God. And so here they came out to hear John. But when he saw many of the Pharisees, who were the Pharisees? They were the leaders, the elite of that day. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come into his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? A lot of them wouldn't 
be baptized because they didn't think they needed such a thing. Now, the first thing that John preached was repent. The second part of the message that was absent during the 400 plus years, I believe, was the message of wrath. You know, it's a subject that if you really stop and think about it, and I'm sure you have, you have children and grandchildren, I shudder for what they are going to face. Because many of them have already been stripped by the school system of any kind of normalcy that exists. When you can go and you can teach kids and people embrace the fact that a child is born and you hold it and, well, it's a little boy, it's a little girl. You're not supposed to be able to tell that, folks, until they get old enough to decide who and what they are. And if you can make people believe that, then there's no wonder that you can make kids believe that there's no God because of the godless, atheistic teachings that we have in our schools that tells kids you can't pray. There was a little second grade child that was seen in the cafeteria bowing their head and asking grace over their meal. And that little girl was reprimanded said, you can't do that here. Things are happening and are going to happen and wrath is coming. And that is part of the message that John was supposed, was given to speak to people, the wrath to come. Who warned you to flee? The wrath which is no escape. This is a horrible thought. The wrath that is coming upon this world. Well, we were talking Tuesday night at our men's meeting here. And there's no way, there's no way that a man can cover what needs to be covered in an hour. Revelation talks about that there's one that will wear out the saints of the Most High. And whenever you sit in a service for an hour and a half or two hours, the seed of understanding cuts off what you're listening to and you, all you can think about, oh, I wish he would hurry up. <laughs> but part of the message was the wrath that is to come. Now, sin is any act or thought that robs well, no, back, I'm, I'm too, getting back to the wrong part of the message here. <laughs> Did you know that wrath is used 47 times in the New Testament? It's a subject that needs to be taught, needs to be meditated on. Exactly what does it mean? There is the temporal wrath of when God in the Old Testament would chastise Israel because they left off worshiping him and they bowed down to idols made by hand. Remember when Ahab and Jezebel, when he married this foreign girl, daughter of a king, brought her to Israel, he accommodated, you know, like to try the ecumenical movement, which is going to bring all religions together. They're, they're trying to do that today and they're making good inroads. But when she came to Israel, she worshipped Baal. One of their main sacrifices was children. And we haven't gone beyond that today because, what do they say, some 62 million babies have been offered on the altar of humanism through abortion. And remember, Manasseh picked that up whenever he was king and it said that he made innocent blood run through the streets of Jerusalem and it said God 
would not forgive that. He forgave Manasseh because Manasseh called out to him. But what that caused for Israel was devastation and wrath and judgment for allowing that to take place. They paid the price for that, folks. We're going to pay the price for it. Now, it's used 47 times in the Old Testament. If you have a pencil and want to write this down, look it up for yourself. I'll read the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. You see, the the Old Testament, all the way through that, was the warnings from God over and over again that the wrath of God will be brought against you if you do not follow my commandments. Read Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. God promises that he would bless them as long as they honored him and worshipped him. But if they turned from these things, the only thing they could look forward to was cursing in every area of their life. And it came to pass. But in Malachi, i get to it here in a minute. Chapter 4, I said what I said. Verse 1, this is not only to the people he was preaching to, this is to us today, folks. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant. Have you ever seen such arrogancy in people today? I mean, they look at you and despise you if you're a Christian. Like, you're a terrorist. Well, in fact, domestic terrorism is related now to the evangelical Christian who believes God's word. You have become the enemy. And we are going to see, folks, mark it down. I don't know how soon it's coming, but it's coming. We that stand for the word of God is going to pay a price. We're not going to escape it. But he says, behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. That's wrath, friends. That's what's coming on the world. And it's, it, it, it's brewing up. It's, it's taking place right now. We're going to close this in just a moment. But I received a paper from a friend of mine. And what it is, Russian nuke targets. They have 30 cities in the United States that they can, at any moment, they think the time is right, can send atomic or hydrogen missiles and destroy them. Did you know that number 28 is Portland? And then it has all the cities over on the coast. This may not happen, but it might happen. The thing that you and I are studying when John says... Talks about the wrath of God. That is certain. There is no bypassing, by stepping the wrath that's coming because God said it is going to come in fury. When God says that there will be a judgment whereby man must appear before God, either you appear before the seat of Christ justified. You'll be appearing there for the rewards that will be given out according to your faithfulness. We are not going to suffer the judgment of God because it's already been completely paid for through the judgment that was placed on Christ at Calvary. Okay? God said that this is certain. 
There is a time when judgment of the lost will happen. It is called the great white throne judgment. And I'm sure you've read it before, but just let me quickly turn to it and read it to you again in Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, the earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. It says, and the sea gave up the dead. I was thinking back when I was a young boy, we had some friends that lived next door. They had one son and they were quite wealthy and he drove a brand new, it was a 40, I think a 48 Oldsmobile. They don't make those anymore, do they? (laughs) And his folks drove one of the new Chryslers that had that kind of gear shift where you didn't have to push the clutch in. You just moved it up and it took care of itself. It was modern. And they had an air conditioner. That was unheard of for most people. And he was a heavy drinker. He was only about 22 or 23. And he went out with a friend in a small boat do fishing in the ocean. He fell overboard. They never recovered his body. He was the only son of this couple. But you know what? It says that the sea will give up its dead. And it says that death and Hades, there is a waiting place right now for those who die without Jesus Christ and immediately when they open their eyes after the Spirit departs and they are in that place of torment awaiting the white throne judgment which after that time they will be judged and then cast into the lake of fire. Can you imagine? I can't. But what would it be like for a person that has heard God's message over and over again, knowing that it's the truth and put off, not today, not today, all at once the spirit is removed from the body and from that instant they know this is all there is. (laughs) That that, that makes, makes me shudder inside. Because it says when death and Hades, which is the temporal place of the dead today that go into that area not knowing Christ. It says they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is an imaginary subject. This is very real. And I have relatives that I know moved into eternity without saying, yes, I have a cousin that I love very dearly. And he didn't want anything to do about hearing anything from the gospel or from the Bible. He told his brother, his brother got saved right around the time that I did, all three of us boys always run around together, but he went over there and, and he says, well, you going to welcome me in? No kind of kidding. This was his older brother. He looked at him and he says, no, you're not welcome. You're going to bring that Christianity stuff here. Completely rejected it. He died. I, I don't know where he is. I can't make make that statement. 
But listen to what Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says out of the new, out of the amplified. How shall we escape appropriate retribution if we neglect and refuse to pay attention to such a great salvation that's offered freely to everyone as it is now offered to us, letting it drift past us forever. For it was declared at first by the Lord himself and was confirmed to us and approved and proved to be real and genuine by those who personally heard him speak. How shall we escape? Let me tell you, you're not going to. You're not going. This is what you face if you don't accept Jesus. So the two messages that were missing that allowed the corruption in the spiritual area of Israel and in the Roman area as well. Repent and wrath. It's all laid out for us. God help us this morning. We're living in the very closing days of times, folks. And there are several different ideas about how that this Antichrist will come into existence. Maybe we can study that someday. But he's coming. The world is coming under the dictatorship of that individual. But right now, you have the opportunity to have the full forgiveness and that blessed relationship with Christ. That when you go to bed at night, you pull the covers up your neck, you know that it makes no difference if I wake up in the morning or not because if I die, I go to be in his presence, which is far better than anything we have now. So if you don't know Christ this morning, I implore you by what Jesus Christ has, and what God's given in his word, repent and claim for yourself that which only comes through the sacrifice of us, and he will forgive you. Father, we thank you this morning. We just pray that you will take these words and apply them to some heart that's needy today. The one that's encouraging, that needs encouragement, Father, that we will realize that we are the blessed people and we don't need to look forward in fear of what's coming upon this world for there's nothing. Jesus said, no man can remove his sheep from his hand. And then he brought down the Father's hand and he said, the Father who is greater than all, no man can possibly take the sheep from his hand. So what you have is the hand of Christ, the hand of God. Security, my friends. So Father, we just pray that you will move upon hearts and upon us who has been members of the body of Christ for years, that we would take stock of where we are, what we're doing, and what you want to do in our life and commit it to you. And Father, we just ask that Christ would be glorified. And we thank you this morning. Let's close with worship song with us.